and turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Sunday morning we're studying the book of Romans together and come to chapter 12, picking things up in verse 17. If you're with us this morning and uh, you don't have a Bible, uh, these men walking up the aisles or want to take care of that for you, just wave to them, put a Bible in your hand, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, word of the Lord. We pay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these verses, and we thank you for the place that they have in our relationship with you and in our service and your call upon our lives to be your ambassadors and to be your representatives in this world. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and through these verses that what these verses are intended to accomplish and to um, produce within our lives and in our walk with you, that they would do that. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We remember as we begin and are now uh, finishing Romans chapter 12, and it's true of the remainder of the book, that what Paul is describing now is what is uh, the you know, the nitty-gritty or the rubber meets the road, what it looks like uh, in the life of a Christian who has presented our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And the broad diversity of, of ways that that is manifest through our, our, our lives. And this morning he continues that description of what it is to be a living sacrifice uh, and, and what that will look like in dealing with our enemies is the enemies are spoken of there in verse 20, and uh, enemies who have done us a great wrong. Uh, I think we're all aware of the fact that as Christians we are uh, not immune uh, to people doing wrong to us and even uh, doing evil to us. And in fact, uh, being a Christian in this world means that we are even more vulnerable to that kind of thing than the average person. Uh, simply by virtue of being uh, a Christian. It targets us for a whole level of that that the unsaved world doesn't experience. These verses that we've just read, they, they don't speak exclusively to, but they speak primarily to our relationship with uh, the world around us, the unsaved uh, uh, world, those who are not yet uh, Christians. 
Paul begins uh, his instruction uh, on, on this subject with three exhortations here in verses 17 and 18. He tells us plainly in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. In other words, we are never as Christians to uh, traffic in evil or to resort to uh, evil under, under any circumstances. Uh, we are never to resort to evil under any provocation that we might face uh, in, in life. And so if someone lies about us, we don't tell lies about them. Uh, if somebody gossips about us, we don't turn and then gossip related to them. If somebody steals from us, we don't then resort to uh, stealing from them and so forth in, in terms of all of the temptations there can be in this regard. I think it is important to notice that Paul uh, does not say that we cannot respond to evil at all. Uh, he's not saying that at all. Uh, he is saying that we are not to repay evil for evil. Uh, we are certainly free to respond to acts of evil directed against us uh, in self-defense and certainly with wisdom and with caution and with vigilance most often as they would escalate unto a you know kind of a high degree by involving law enforcement or uh, using the courts or whatever kind of structures there might exist within a society that are uh, made available to its citizens in order to address uh, these kind of things and to enforce law uh, and order there's nothing wrong with exercising our rights as citizens, as, uh, as Christians. Paul did that repeatedly in his Christian life and in his, his ministry. And, and to use these things in order to blunt or to uh, address evil that is being directed uh, toward us. Paul is going to commend uh, human government and the importance of it in next week, Lord willing, is in the, in the early verses of, of chapter thir 13. Even within the church, the Lord has put a, a structure in place called church discipline in which a great wrong or an evil that has been done by one Christian toward another within that church that that is to be brought before the leadership of a church in, in its kind of final step in the progression and that that is to be addressed on that level uh, so that people aren't even tempted then to repay evil with evil. So Paul is stating that we're not to repay evil with further evil. And so evil's to be resisted and uh, we are uh, but we're never to resort to evil in order to resist evil being directed against us. Because if we do that, then evil has won the game. Uh, it has won the situation. Because now everyone is engaging in evil uh, in, in the situation. And uh, we must resist evil, uh, but we must not sacrifice righteousness in doing so and we certainly have to be careful not to sacrifice our Christian witness or our testimony in resisting evil and resorting to uh, evil to repay evil is a sure way to do it and and when people see us uh, respond in this way to an evil or great wrong that has been directed toward us uh, as Christians and uh, we respond in evil, uh, the tendency, I think, is for them to just look and s at us and say, well, you know those Christians, I mean, they talk a great talk, and, but when push comes to shove, I mean, they're just like us. 
They abandon everything related to God, all of God's words. They stop talking about the Holy Spirit and all, and they become exactly uh, like us. And that's an accusation that the Lord doesn't want to have directed uh, against us because his reputation is on the line as well. Well, all of this, I think, then raises the question of exactly how a person might safely respond uh, to evil done to us if repaying evil with a comparable evil has been taken off the table uh, by God. And uh, Paul will get to that in just a moment. You notice in verse 17, the second uh, exhortation he gives us, he says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Uh, this statement of Paul comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, which reads, And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. In other words, refusing to repay evil with evil is the only response that will model goodness in the sight of those who are watching us in our situation. And, uh, and it is the only response that can come from us that people will recognize as a good response. If we repay evil for evil, people will like that for a moment. Uh, they will think, they'll have a, a, an emotion in the moment uh, that that was right, that was good uh, to do. But it won't sit well with them over the long haul. They'll walk away from it, give it some thought, uh, as time is kind of added to it, days or weeks are added to it, it just won't sit right. And, uh, and, uh, and they won't recognize it as a good response. And, and as Paul intimates here, as Christians, we're always being watched by others. And we're probably never more watched by others than in this kind of a situation where a great evil has been done to us, and now people are going to watch what in the world are you and I going to do, uh, you and me going to do with this, with this, uh, this uh, situation. And uh, uh, they're going to watch for that uh, response. And it, it's at that moment, and, and every, in every life, there's only a, a few of these kind of moments that are entrusted to us in a lifetime where we have the opportunity to allow them to see something different in us as a Christian than what is we see in the world, and that is uh, almost always evil for evil and I for uh, and, and I, and then for them to see how citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of God, handle a comparable situation. And as I've mentioned before, one of my favorite uh, quotes related to this is that the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom that becomes visible through the obedience of God's people. And when they see us handle these kind of situations in a different way, it's just like a flash that occurs in the spiritual realm that even a person that isn't saved recognizes that something very different is op operating in this situation. And it's, it's the kingdom uh, of God. Other translations, I think, bring this, uh, the meaning of this particular uh, sentence out a little more clearly than the New King James. Uh, the ESV uh, puts it, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Uh, the NIV puts it this way, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. 
the New Living Translation puts it this way, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And that is exactly uh, the point that Paul is making there. He goes on to say, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, as Christians, we're always to be an influence for peace in life. And so there's, there should never be a carnal conflict that is going on in our lives uh, that is uh, due to uh, uh, something on our part, that, we, that uh, this kind of conflict is either escalating uh, uh, or exists uh, because of what we are saying or doing in the situation. And, and, and that's the goal. That's what we're to aim for. Uh, Paul uh, does something I think is wonderful, and what he declares here is that he does, and it's important to notice it, two qualifications that Paul gives to all of this. This endeavoring to be a peacemaker and making sure that conflict that does exist in our life is not uh, due to us and certainly not escalating uh, because of us. Paul, uh, the first qualification he gives is, if it is possible. In other words, sometimes other people are not willing uh, to live at peace with us, and uh, very often not willing to live at peace with, with our Christian life. Uh, or uh, the idea is that people will demand that we compromise uh, some standard of God's Word or some commandment uh, from the Bible as a condition uh, for peace. And uh, sometimes within a marriage or within a family that happens where uh, an unbelieving person demands it of the other. It happens in all kinds of environments within life. And Paul says that is never on the table. Uh, that that, uh, the, that if it is possible, as much, or he says, as much as lies uh, within us. That's not on the table under that. We cannot do that. It is never the solution uh, to anything. And so Paul doesn't call us to a life of peace at any price with, uh, with uh, the world around us. Second, he declares, as much as depends on you. And in this, I've always appreciated Paul's recognition uh, that living peaceably with all men uh, uh, may not always happen simply because in any relationship there are two people involved. Uh, we can be as desirous of peace as, as anybody could possibly be in a situation. But in any relationship, no single individual has complete control over the relationship. There's another person that is engaged. And as much as we may long for peace, strive for peace, if that person is not willing to live in peace, then we don't have control over that. And Paul acknowledges that in what he says, as much as depends uh, on you. The other person has to desire peace as well, but uh, the point is still an important one. The Christian is always to be an influence for peace in the relationships within our life with everyone, uh, and, uh, but we don't have control 
over the entirety of, of that relationship. And so we're not to be the source of, of carnal conflicts with people. We are not to be the cause of carnal conflict continuing in any relationships within our life. Paul then moves on from all of that then to uh, elaborate on vengeance in verses 19 to 21. And he begins it with an interesting word. He begins with the word beloved. And he wants the, the, the audience in Rome, and he wants us to know that what he's about to say, he's saying out of love to us. But he, he's saying it with a recognition um, that, well, it, it's basically a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. And, uh, and he's wanting us to know that this may not be easy to hear, but I write it to you uh, out of love. The situation that, that Paul describes here uh, in, in verse 19 is a situation where uh, I think that all of us are um, familiar with in life on some level. And so see if you recognize this from your, your life past tense or maybe even a present tense here this morning. So a great wrong has been done to you. Uh, a, a terrible wrong has been uh, done uh, to us. In fact, the wrong is so great, as Paul puts it, that it provokes two reactions within us. And the first reaction is wrath, and, and not anger. Uh, there's a different Greek word that is used for anger, the word thumos. This is the anger of the hothead, where the anger suddenly flashes up in a moment, and in 30 seconds it's gone. Uh, that's not the word that Paul uses uh, here for wrath. The word that he uses in, in the Greek for this wrath is the word orge. And the word orge speaks of a wrath that is this deep, settled, fiery indignation and wrath. And it just broods. And it just sits there. And it's got a very long fuse. It's got a very, very long uh, life. And when wrath occurs within our life, the wrath that he's talking about here, this kind of thing isn't going to be content with, it isn't going to be extinguished by, again, that quick flash of anger. This is an anger where someone does something to us, and now this wrath settles in for the long haul. It just sits inside of us, and it lives inside of us. And the second uh, thing that Paul describes here is, is that that wrong is done to us, and there's that anger that, and wrath that comes forth, but then coupled with it, there's this intense desire to take revenge. And I wonder how many of us in this room, I certainly have multiple times in my life, where a great wrong has been done to me, a great violation has been done to me, and the great reaction is immediately this orge, this deep, abiding, vengeful wrath, coupled with a desire and an opportunity for vengeance in the situation. Sorry, I wish you had a better pastor than that, but, um, but I understand all about what Paul is talking uh, about here. I mean, you can just feel all of the emotion. I trust most of us have felt this at some time or, or other in, in our lives. And the powerful 
uh, kind of cocktail, the combination of orge and a desire for vengeance produces within, within our, our, our lives. I don't think that many of us uh, get to uh, escape the uh, temptation to vengeance in life. The world that we live in is a very, very fallen world, and, uh, and because of that, God's instruction to us here as Christians for how to handle it when it does come close, very, very close uh, in our lives is, is invaluable uh, to us. Because where uh, that rage that Paul describes, and why would Paul talk about this except that he knows we're not immune to these emotions, even as Christians, even as the best of us as Christians, we recognize what he's talking uh, about here. And, and, and to, to realize that where that rage and where that desire for revenge will take us in a situation, uh, it, it'll, it can take us to a very, very scary place uh, with very, very severe uh, consequences. I mean, you stop and you think about how many men and women uh, sit in jail and in prison today because they chose to take vengeance into their own hands. How many dis uh, relationships have been permanently destroyed uh, by virtue of someone taking a vengeance into their own hands? I, I think of, uh, thinking about this a little bit and thinking about football and uh, a little bit, and it, those of you who watch much football, you realize that when a personal foul is called, it's almost always the second person that gets flagged for the foul. Uh, the first person, uh, some lineman or some safety, you know, jams somebody up in the helmet or something like that when the play is over, and that gets missed by the official. And then the player that has that happen to them, they're always going to take that vengeance back, but they're always going to do a little bit more than what was done. And then that's what gets noticed, and that's what, that, that's what gets uh, flagged. And, and uh, this is the tendency in life. Not just on the football field, but in life. Somebody does something to me, and then I'm going to do something even greater. But it's that, that second reaction that so often is the person that gets caught, and then is the one that, that bears the, the greatest consequences as a result of it. Now, notice there in verse 19, God's instruction to us as Christians when we find ourselves in this, uh, these kind of situations. The first thing he tells us in, in, with a clarity that nobody can miss, he, he tells us that we are not to avenge ourselves. And so to become in, in, enraged and to have this desire to take uh, revenge, to repay evil for evil. There's the recognition that even among us as Christians, this is the natural reaction uh, that, we, that we have. Why would Paul address it if it, was something that it wasn't something that we're all tempted by? And so Paul is saying, don't do what your immediate instincts tell you to do in these kind of situations. He tells us further in verse 19 that we're to then give place uh, to wrath. 
I think uh, uh, that makes no sense to me at all, almost, I, uh, to understand what in the world he's saying. I think that other translations make it clear. Uh, in, in the NIV, Paul says, uh, it's translated, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Uh, the ESV puts it, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. In other words, we're to leave it to God to exercise what wrath the situation uh, warrants. The third thing he tells us uh, to do is, is that because that, that we're to do all of this because we accept the fact that vengeance is something that belongs solely to God. And I, I think that's something that it, it really it, we need to maybe even repeat it in our minds a couple of times. Uh, just so a, a little bit of self-talk. David uh, talked to his own soul. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? There's nothing wrong with talking with yourself. And to say to ourselves, maybe under the provocation of a situation that we find ourselves in all, this morning, or one that is coming down the road to us, and, and to tell ourselves vengeance is something that belongs solely to God. I cannot touch that. I cannot go there uh, as a Christian. And one of the reasons uh, for that and why God keeps vengeance solely uh, to Himself is that vengeance is only safe in His hands. And why is that? Because you and I lack the full knowledge that's required in order to exact a proper and a holy uh, vengeance of someone in a situation, in order that the vengeance would not be too harsh or that the vengeance would not be too lenient. See if you recognize this in your life at any times. How many times have each of us assessed a situation in our lives? And as we've assessed it, we're convinced that we know all of the facts about it, and then we've told ourselves that in the light of all that we know, and there's nothing else to know about this, this is the only conclusion a person can come to in the light of those facts. And now we're going to take a course of action. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, to have new facts arrive about the situation. Maybe a single fact that arises about the situation that causes us to view the situation entirely differently than we did just one minute uh, earlier. And we walk away privately in our own hearts and we say, I am so glad I didn't say or do what I was about to say or do in that situation. I thought I knew everything. But I didn't know uh, everything, and I uh, just about made a terrible, terrible mistake. That never happens to God. That never happens to God. He is omniscient. He knows everything, and it's impossible for Him to make a mistake in any situation involving vengeance. Uh, that, that, that is due to ignorance about the situation. 
The Bible says, as, as the writer of the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, that is God's sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must, must give an account. And so we lack the proper information and knowledge to safely uh, be in the vengeance game. The second thing that we lack is we lack the godly character uh, to do it righteously. In these kind of situations where somebody has done us a great wrong, an evil, I mean even the best of us as Christians, we can become so emotionally involved in the situation that there is this great temptation to overstep uh, in, in our response, to then take revenge and then to deeply regret it uh, later, and, and to do uh, more damage to others than was done uh, to us, which is something uh, nobody wants to, to, to live with. God has no fallen nature to contend with in these situations. He does not deal with emotion in the way that we deal uh, with, with emotion and uh, his dis decisions, because they're not guided by uh, misguided emotions, his decisions are always perfectly uh, righteous. And so here we sit uh, in, in this kind of a situation, and given the choice as, as a Christian between taking vengeance into our, uh, 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 our own hands or entrusting it to God, Paul is essentially saying there is no better uh, other conclusion than that it is best left to God. And in fact, it's a blessing and a gift that this weight concerning vengeance has been lifted off of our shoulders. Now, further, Paul tells us that we're in, to entrust the situation, this uh, vengeance that the situation uh, requires, uh, or the, the justice that it requires of the evil that has been done to us, we're to entrust that situation to God with the absolute confidence that He will repay the, ev the, the evildoer in the situation. Uh, Paul doesn't uh, just say, uh, say, have God saying that vengeance is mine. Uh, but, he, but he quotes further from that passage uh, that is a quote from the Old Testament where God declares uh, and he tells us that God makes also the promise that I will repay. He will take care of it with a perfection that we are incapable of. And, you, and we can be very, very, very confident that he will do so. And so when we choose to commit uh, 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 the vengeance to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to commit it to you. That is never to do nothing in a situation. It is to do the single most powerful thing we can do in that, that situation. And for any of us who would sit here and, and wonder at, at the fact that, uh, uh, that God will be uh, is capable of, of taking care of vengeance on our, our half. I mean, do we think uh, on our behalf, do we think that God cannot avenge? Uh, do we think that God doesn't know how to defend His people? And the answer to that question is with another question, and that is, have you never read the Old Testament? 
Uh, have we never read the New Testament? And speaking of revelation, uh, the revelation uh, principally. No, God knows how to take vengeance. He knows how to defend His people. The, the volume of the book testifies uh, to that. And He will do the same uh, for you and I and in a comparable uh, situation. There is a word of warning, I think, that's needed here, and that is that vengeance is to be committed to God with the knowledge, the absolute faith and confidence that He will repay, uh, but you have to give God time uh, on, on this. He doesn't always take care of these things as quick as we would like. I mean, we would like to see our foe uh, humbled uh, in, in the town square uh, within five minutes or certainly by the end of the day. Uh, and, and our righteousness brought forth and, and their con, uh, continued uh, evil directed toward us being brought to us a, a, a screeching uh, kind of, of halt. We want it wrapped up in, in that, that kind of a way. But when we entrust vengeance to God, God operates in, in a little different way than we do. And sometimes the full expression of that vengeance, it can take weeks. And it can take months and sometimes it can take years uh, before we begin to see what he has actually uh, done in the situation where he has worked very privately, he has worked very powerfully in, in a person's life. And, and, uh, but when we see that it's done, we see what God has done in the situation, we look at it and say it could not have been handled more perfectly than, than he did there, more completely than, than he did uh, there. And, and not uh, the least of, of God's goals in all of this. It can be lost to us in the moment, especially if we're dealing with vengeance uh, in terms of a, a, a non-Christian directed uh, toward us. But the Lord will work in such a way that one of his goals will be the salvation. Uh, of the enemy, of the person who is doing uh, uh, the evil, and then uh, to bring godly sorrow into their lives, to see their evil in a way that only a Christian uh, can see things, and then produce a reconciliation and, and, uh, uh, that can only occur between brothers and sisters in the Lord, which is the best ending to, uh, to anything. And so often, in terms of vengeance, we're looking for vengeance to be expressed solely on, on some intellectual level, some physical level, some emotional level, and we don't really care uh, about the spiritual well-being or the salvation of the person at the moment or ever. And yet God never uh, fails to keep that on the table, is what He also tries to work out of the situation uh, as, as, uh, as well. There's an old saying that though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly uh, fine. And uh, the point of that is that you can trust anything, any situation, and trust it to God with the confidence that He won't miss a single thing. Uh, we think uh, that, boy, if He only knew what we knew, then He'd be handling it a little bit differently. He doesn't miss anything. And, and uh, what he will do will be just right. We, and we see that this trusting of wrongs done to us uh, in, in life, uh, 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 this entrusting of, uh, of these wrongs done to us in life, uh, entrusting them to God, 
is, of course, demonstrated in the greatest example in life for the Christian, and that is in Jesus himself. And you might remember, you, you look and say, well, that's a weak way to handle these things. Not at all. And you might remember uh, that at the scene uh, of Calvary, the scene of the greatest injustice done in human history, the greatest evil ever expressed by Jew and Gentile alike toward any individual in human history was directed toward Jesus as he hung on that cross. And there he is on that cross covered with his own blood, covered with the spit and the blasphemies and the false accusations of man. And Jesus, as he hangs upon that cross, he has the ability to take the, uh, vengeance into his hands. He has the, uh, the capacity to take the entire situation under his control and bring all of it to a screeching halt with a vengeance that only you, you and I could only dream of. As he talked to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's hacking ears off of servants there, as the morning began, and he said, Peter, in essence, nothing about this is out of control at all. Don't you realize I could call 12 legions of angels in an instant and bring all of this to, to a complete halt? And with all of that at Jesus' fingertips, he chose not to do that. Instead, he did the very thing himself that Paul calls us to do here as a representative of him. The Apostle Peter put it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take, uh, but if you do uh, good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but, and here it is for our purposes, but committed himself to him, that is to the Father, who judges righteously. And we know that the rest of the story between, behind Jesus' death upon uh, that cross, that it didn't turn out so badly, left in the hands of God the Father, as uh, each of us as Christians in this room and on this church uh, grounds today uh, is an evidence of. Now, notice the, the part that, Paul, uh, that God does call us to in all of this in verse 20, where he said, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his uh, head. In other words, to do good uh, to the person. Sometimes you read this and you say, well, I, I really have no interest in, in the hunger and feeding and the thirst and the drink. Tell me about this coals on his head thing. I think this is uh, up my alley a, a little bit more. And, uh, and yet it's communicating the same thing. It seems to speak to the fact in, in the ancient world, if you had a fire go out, uh, maybe you had left your home for a, a time and the fire would go out uh, in your home and you'd come back and the house is uh, freezing cold and you would, in, in the same way that someone, you know, uh, perver uh, 
and kind of uh, proverbially would go and borrow a cup of sugar from their neighbor for something, you would go next door and borrow a coal. Uh, and it would be put in some kind of a vessel that then you would put on your head and, and then uh, carry to your house and use it now to start a fire. It was a way, uh, again, of, of doing good uh, to, uh, to an enemy. And what God is saying here is, if you really want to help me, in uh, rectifying the evil done to you, then this is what I want you to do. This is the only involvement I want you to have in these kind of situations. And uh, uh, because in, in, in doing good to the other person, because uh, we will be much more likely to produce shame and, and repentance in the other person through acts of kindness than, than we will by acts of vengeance or really by any other means. Today we talk about killing, uh, killing them with kindness. And we talk about killing someone with kindness. It's, it's the determination that I'm going to be more kind toward them than they can ever be evil toward me. And that's essentially what God is calling us to do here. And, and God promises to use that. He says, if, if you help me in this way, if you bring this to the table uh, a, a, and you cooperate with me in this way, then I will use that in the situation. Uh, I think that very often in, in uh, marriage counseling, you have husband and wife come in and there's a lot of damage perhaps that's been done in the marriage. And, uh, and so often, each one of them at this point is waiting for the counselor or the pastor to fix the other person. And, uh, and it can take a little bit of time before you weave through some things and then talk uh, to the husband as an individual and the wife as an individual and, and then to inform them that the greatest thing that they can do in this situation is not to fix the other person. If they could do that, they wouldn't be in the office at that moment but to discover what is it that God wants you now to bring to the situation for Him to use in the other person's life. And so for the, the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church, and then for the wife to submit unto her, her husband as, as the church does to the headship of Christ. And it is only when a person gets to that kind of place that, and God says, that's what I want from you. That's what I want you to bring to this situation. And if you'll bring it, I will use it. And, and far outside of marriage is, is an illustration. This is what he's talking about uh, here. And then finally, and we close with this, he tells us in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you, I want you to look at that first uh, phrase in verse 21, where Paul says, do not be overcome by evil. And, and, and it's important to realize that all of this instruction that Paul is giving to us here as Christians is not about the person who does us the wrong or the evil supremely. All of this instruction is about us. And it is about keeping us as Christians from being overcome by evil uh, in, in this world. And it happens very, very easily in this world. 
And the moment that I decide to take vengeance on someone by repaying their evil with evil, then I have now become overcome by evil. I've allowed evil now to overcome me. And the moment I choose to take revenge by repaying evil with evil, I have lost control of the situation. And do you know where the control of the situation now goes? It now goes to the person uh, who, uh, who and, 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 and where the situation will go is now going to be determined completely by the person who is willing to become the most evil. That's what who will win in that game. And no Christian wants to find themselves in the middle of that game. We can't win in that game. The greatest wound that can ever be inflicted upon us as Christians is never a wound that comes by the hand of another person. It is never uh, uh, comes by the evils done to us by others in life, however awful those things are. The greatest wound that we can ever experience is the one that only we can inflict upon ourselves. And that is to become overcome by evil. By engaging in evil, coming down to the level of what we hate in others in order to exact revenge as opposed to entrusting the situation to the Lord. And then having become a comparable evil in a situation, uh, to then have to live with that regret for the rest of our lives. Anything anyone else can do to us in life pales in comparison to what we alone can do to ourselves in this regard. And I think it's very easy to look at this passage of Scripture and then just privately in, in, in our own hearts to protest and say, it looks like I'm doing all of the giving here. And it looks like my enemies and everyone else is doing all of the taking. Everyone else, you know, comes out, uh, you know, advantaged in the situation. It looks like everyone else is reaping the benefits of Paul's instruction here. And it, uh, but it isn't true. Because Paul's instruction here is keeping us clear of the blood sport that vengeance can become. And it becomes that very, very quickly. You want to do an interesting study in American history? Go do just a, just do a Wikipedia on the Hatfield and McCoys and see what that became over what was the, the stimuli. But I think even more importantly, it is the only way is this instruction that God has given us. It's the only way to keep us as the blood-bought body of Christ from becoming like everything else in the world about vengeance, about repaying evil for evil. And then for us who are spirit-filled Christians and love the Lord and walk close to Him, to steer clear of this kind of thing because it has the potential to destroy our Christian witness and destroy our life as a result. And in vengeance, that's always what the devil is targeting. That's always what he is targeting. 
That's really what he wants to destroy. That's the thing that is the most valuable, our Christian witness. And that is the greatest thing that's in play when we're tempted to take vengeance into our own hands and take it out of the hands of God. And so vengeance, it will defile us always. It will make us sub-Christian always. It will defile our Christian witness and with it, it will defile and misrepresent the name of Jesus and Christianity before a world that is watching us, as Paul makes clear within the passage. And I think that surely all of that provides us with enough reason to leave vengeance, however strong the desire, uh, completely uh, with God. The only safe way to overcome evil, Paul tells us, is with good. And so to determine this morning, if you face that kind of situation in your life, it's very present tense in your life this morning, to determine uh, that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and out of a love for God, out of a, a response to uh, my salvation and the salvation that Paul is uh, described by the Spirit of God in chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans and to say God by your grace I determine to be more committed to doing good and, and being good than anyone else's commitment to evil in this world or in my life and God will meet me in that prayer and he will meet me in that place and he will give me the ability to live that life and, and, and because it is the very life of Christ himself. And we may sit here this morning, and um, this is one of the great blessings of, of going through a book of the Bible. Uh, if I was a pastor who didn't do that, and I just kind of chose passages here and there in the course of a year or decades and all, it's highly unlikely uh, I, I would ever teach on something like this. But because it's the next passage within the book, uh, we hit it. And I think it's easy in today's environment where, ministry environment, where the whole idea is that, uh, you know, you, you preach to people's felt needs. Or, or where somebody can sit through a sermon like this or a teaching like this and look and say, I, I, was, I came to church today hoping for a sermon that would tell me how wonderful I am and how lucky God is to have me as one of His children. I'm still working on that sermon. I just, after 35 years, I just can't find that in the Bible yet. No, what we looked at this morning will serve us far better in the moment and the hour of need. Whether that hour is right now in your life in terms of vengeance and how to handle it properly, or the hour is yet future for us as surely it is, as it is. And to have this in the hands of the Holy Spirit in our spirit, to bring to our remembrance in that moment, and, and lest we do great damage, not only to our own reputation and our own lives, but also to the reputation of the Lord. It's a wonderful passage, a needed passage, in light of the world that we live in. One day in heaven, there'll be no need for it. 
but now there's a need for it. Let's stand together now and we'll pray.